You are listening to episode 33, the Authenticity Mashup. This episode is brought to you by Drop Counter. Hi, this is Samantha Villegas, president of Savvy PR. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the power of women in the water sector. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. I've never been too shy, so I spoke up and I talked about how valuable public education is for inspiring young, younger students to not only pursue careers in the water environment profession, but also just to become better stewards of water and better um, users of water in terms of making their daily decisions. And everybody laughed at me and that was not the reaction I was expecting. Um, they said, what do kids know? We really need to look education for adults. Funny enough, 10 years later, when the same organization was doing its strategic plan, reaching out to young children and high school students became part of that plan. Because um, if you look at so many different other initiatives, whether it's recycling or conserving energy or not littering, all of those campaigns were really effective because they reached out to school-age children. The definition of authenticity is to be genuine or for something to be what it is claimed to be. In this week's mashup, the theme is our core value of authenticity. We pulled from episodes with Todd Danielson, Chris Wolf, Rob Barnett, and Megan U. Schneider. In episode 20, Todd Danielson, Chief Utilities Executive at Avon Lake Regional Water, reminds us that being authentic is about recognizing what you bring to the table so you see the value in what others bring. In episode 24, Adventure Hydrology rock star Chris Wolf told us that authentic stories are everywhere. All you have to do is be willing to ask and listen. In episode 22, Rob Barnett, CEO and founder of Drop Counter, explains how technology can help provide the information utilities need to be more transparent and authentic in the eyes of their customers. And finally, from episode 7, one of our very first and Catalyst 2018 speaker, Megan U. Schneider, president and founder of Seven Management and Consulting Inc., demonstrates the power of owning your truth and living an authentic life. Our biggest differentiator is being ourselves, y'all. So without further ado, let's get to the show. But like I said, I think not every director out there supports communication in the same way that you do. So what are some talking points for the communicators out there listening and the educators out there that, that they can arm themselves with to make a case for proactive and consistent communication? Well, I mean, to me, I mean, no matter what, you're going to spend time and money communicating, you know, and, you know, it, it kind of comes down to that old saying, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm, and, like you, you know, you either put it up front and, and hopefully, you know, you're, you're building that, that relationship bank account, if you want to call it that with your mm-hmm. customers, um, you know, and, or, you know, you're, you're responding to the emergency. And then those customers are saying, what the heck are you doing? And, and you know, you've lost trust, you've lost everything. And then you have to try to build it back. And you never get it all back. Yeah. So to me, it, it's one of those things where let's put the money in up front. Let's make sure that our customers know who we are and know that we are honestly acting with their best interests at heart. And when, we, when they actually do believe that, and that takes a long time, as, as you guys best know, um, but when they best best believe that they're much willing to support you when you have to ask them to conserve water or you say, I'm sorry, you've got no water right now. We're, we're responding to a water break or, or whatever else. Yeah, definitely. Um, the amount of time that gets spent, I think that was probably what won over 
one of one of our directors was when we got pro in in Texas here it, it catches everyone by surprise when the summer comes and their water bills increase there's like some kind of disconnect between watering the lawn and and the bills that come in in response to that and so a lot of people around this time of the year especially in August in Texas get get a, a little crazy about the high water bills and so then one year we proactively kind of took the chance of reminding people that that was coming and then also use it as an opportunity to educate people on how to even read their water bills and what portion of the water bill was actually going towards actual water usage versus some people's utility bills include their recycling costs and their trash costs and and things like that. So just kind of keeping it on people's forefront of their minds. And I think we really were able to win over um, our director at the time because he wasn't spending the same amount of time on the phones answering angry high water bill calls as he was the prior year. And so um, I think that was definitely a win for being able to uh, to demonstrate how how being a little proactive, you know, because like someone's like, well, do you really want to remind them that high water bills are coming? But I mean, like, yeah, just remind them. And, and that resulted in in much less pitchforks coming out <laughs> when June, July and August hit. So um, that was that was definitely a positive. <laughs> I want to switch gears for a second and ask you how uh, I mean, I guess that's switching gears. We're still kind of talking about education. Um, how has your master's degree in public admin made you a better director? Yeah. And what what is your your take on the value of having an integrated education across all organizational functions? Okay, well, thanks. Uh, so, you know, I like to use analogies if if at all possible. And and I mean, you've heard of the one where you know if you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, <laughs> yep. um, you know, let's 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 add a little bit of color to that. You know, if if a utility is like a toolbox. And each of the different departments are different tools. Um, well, for some jobs, you only need a hammer. Um, mm -hmm. But for other jobs, you might need many tools. Uh, and, and then really, you, know, you might even realize that sometimes, you know, working together, you know, um, tools can work in a complementary uh, fashion and do so much more. Well, I viewed uh, my MPA degree as the education that I needed to better understand you know, each of the tools that I have in the toolbox and how to best use them. Um, you know, personally, I believe it's an incredible pro program um, mm -hmm. you know, for anybody in the utility sector. You really help to understand what does the finance department do? What does communication right. do? Customer service, engineering, operations, all those different types of things. You have a master's in hydrology, um, but you're also a lifelong learner just like us. So what are some of the things that you've learned since starting Adventure Hydrology that's just blowing your mind and you just must share today, right now? Breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah. Hashtag breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> CNN. Uh, <laughs> except they're always breaking news. Hashtag for, real news. Yeah, yeah. Actual news. The thing that constantly blows my mind is how great everybody is at storytelling. Um, people, yeah, people think that they can't tell a story and then I just start asking questions. And mm -hmm. I think once you start asking the right questions, people just tell what they're accustomed to. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's phenomenal. I don't, I can't tell you stories in certain places that I've never visited, but if you go and talk to one person in a small town, they'll tell you the history, the background of everything, perhaps their family life. And I guarantee you can tease out a story in that. And that's, that's what makes everything I, I'm doing 
a blast because everybody has a story to tell and that blows my mind frequently. I don't have to come up with content. I can just go to a place, meet a couple people and they can tell me that they're pumping groundwater. Like, yeah, they're exactly whatever. Yeah. Dogs and family life, what they're doing, how they're, how they drink water for, I don't know, anything. And I think that's really, really awesome. Um, Because like as you said, as a lifelong learner, I want to learn about as much as I can from different perspectives because Mm -hmm. otherwise you get this tunnel vision and you don't realize that what you never saw as a problem is a major issue for these people or what you never saw or thought of as a solution was thought of by a nine-year-old kid that's floating down the river and they just said, oh, well, what about this? Holy cow, that would be brilliant. Can we do that? Mm -hmm. So that blows my mind all the time. Um, And as people's wanting to learn they want people want to know stuff mm-hmm. you know, whatever that stuff is it doesn't have My to be Google water works. it can be it does exactly yeah and it's, for us. yeah well, it's the google also, is a baller <laughs> it's also like when i mean you don't know to ask what you don't know and so yeah it's just i think um sometimes we get too down and feel like nobody cares but maybe there's a lot of people in this country, you talk about liking to go outside. There's a lot of people in this country who just don't anymore. And that's because they don't live in places that are conducive to that. And just why would they know why it's important to protect this natural resource when they've never seen it or experienced it? Um, I feel like that's kind of like the power behind what you're doing is a lot of people don't have the ability to climb up mountains or mm-hmm. go glissading down mm-hmm. mountains. And so like you're giving yeah. people the opportunity to, to live vicariously through you. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I also think that story, you know, hearing you talk about hearing other people's stories is that transfer of stories or that trading of stories is what really to me creates connection. And that's what really drives it home. So I, I feel like probably every person that you've had, a one-on-one connection with probably sees water a lot differently now than they did before they met you. And that's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about storytelling and about telling water story and um, all the other water storytellers out there, because it just like water is, has this, the molecule itself is, is, is good about bonding. And for some reason that translates into its impact on, the human race. So it connects us as well. But wow, I mm-hmm. went real deep there. Sorry. I like it. Hey, <laughs> you got to go deep. But that's an important connection to make. And that's, I think that's why it's important to talk to people, hear their stories, mm-hmm. understand what they see as important, because I don't want to tell, I don't want to come up with stories if they're already there. There's no yeah. need to do that. Um, and I love being, and, and thank you for the compliment, but I love being the one who who takes people, you know, it's video, sure, but takes people on top of a mountain because that's, that's what I want you to do. And literally, if people want to join me, I would love to have that happen. I will talk your ear off on water as we <laughs> climb a mountain and you're going to hate me for it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. There should be snow up here. Shut up. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that's, the fun part of all this and it's it's those connections and hearing the stories and knowing that people do give a hoot it's just how do you how do you connect those dots and um, how do you tease the story from them in the first place okay truth or dare for a minute 
You ready? You remember playing Truth or Dare? Oh, I'm ready. Not that okay. I've ever played that game. Just kidding. It's really like Truth or Truth. Pleading the fifth. Yeah. Um, so the truth is utilities aren't always best at communication. No. <laughs> so, uh, so like the public doesn't view their water service any differently than any of the other utilities that they regularly deal with, like gas, telecommunications, electricity. Um, and most of those entities are offering a higher level of service, such as real-time alerts and um, budgeting out, getting alerts when you're exceeding a certain budget or figuring out what you want your budget to be and real-time data and stuff like that. So, so... <laughs> <laughs> How is drop counter helping utilities evolve into the age of digital utilities? And why is this important to you? Well, another good question. Um, so I think that is part of the problem that we're trying to solve is bringing a modern form of communication, um, filling that gap between utility and customers. So we're trying to deliver this higher level of service and it's primarily delivering the information that I had a tough time accessing when I looked at my paper bills yeah, mm. and then bringing those real-time alerts um, to around usage thresholds, leaks, um, you know, your bill is ready for payment. Uh, these are all things that we're trying to deliver today. And I think this goes back to the original insight on, uh, for us, which was, you know, access to information really improves customer satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And access to this information has really become an expectation. And I think that this is based upon all of the information that is now currently provided by other industries. Like this has become the norm mm -hmm. and it's been maybe a little slower to get some traction in the water space, but um, you can't fight the future. It's, uh, it's happening whether we like it or not. So whether you like it or not. <laughs> I think uh, a couple of, Interesting examples. Uh, actually, my colleague Kellogg wrote a blog recently, uh, which is on our website. He wrote it um, about our experience with the Dedham Westwood Water District, which is just outside of Boston. And they've actually used a targeted messaging function. So they're actually sending um, alerts regarding hydrant flushing events specifically to accounts that are going to be affected those on any given day um, cool. basically giving them advance notice and yeah. i think there's been a few things that have come out of that um, not only do customers actually appreciate the heads up um, and they know what to expect now mm -hmm. but as a byproduct that also reduces the number of calls that come into the customer service folks uh, at the water utility so it basically makes everyone's life a little bit easier and it again matches these expectations for real-time relevant information on the customer side yeah that's awesome um because you're absolutely right that is probably especially if you if you're a utility that it's in any sort of situation in terms of um watering restrictions or you're in a drought or you know you're they're one of the biggest complaints that we get or we got from customers was you're asking us to do all of these things. And I just drove by a hydrant that's like pushing out however many, and you know, there's a lot of reasons for that and you have to explain mm -hmm. that, but it would be a really cool thing to be able to tell people ahead of time and just to have like another resource to send people mm -hmm. to and letting them know why they're doing that, why it's happening. Um, 
you know, because one of the things that we get asked actually kind of frequently is, yeah. why can't, well, why can't we just save that water? And there's not really an easy way to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot bigger than just catching it in a yeah they're like just like attach a pipe to a tanker truck and we're like okay but like Like (laughs) if you think about the number yeah (laughs) like a fleet of tank like just train tracks of tanker trucks of sometimes the amount of water that needs to be flushed so that's really cool to know that um you guys communicate that Yeah. yeah yeah and um your marketing machine is a is a good delivery point of uh information like that so as content developers we enjoy seeing what other people are putting out there mm-hmm, and definitely and if you're gonna sign up for a newsletter i That's think a good one y'all's is a good one to sign yeah. up for from yeah it's a great mm-hmm. example of what you know what cities can do and what other people can do to have engaging content when we say create engaging content tell your story like you'll have a great example of that <laughs> so, what that means <laughs> Well, I mean, it's got to be a story, right? I mean, I think that, um, you know, we've we've tried to be industry participants and perhaps not just a vendor and <laughs> trying yes. to sell a product and service. And I think that, you know, we learn on the fly as well in terms of the different applications for our product based upon feedback from existing customers or even potential new clients ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so being able to communicate that back uh, to the industry, we can all sort of learn uh, as we go along. I yeah. love that, not just a vendor. Yeah. Industry participant. Yeah, because I feel like that's probably one of the bigger complaints that we hear from utilities is that, um, you know, people get really excited about their idea, but aren't really coming at them with something that solves a problem, a real problem that they have. And so it's kind of cool to know that this whole thing came out of your own problem of trying to figure <laughs> out your own water use and mm-hmm. you notice that gap in in knowledge and that's that's definitely that's a legit problem that's out there that how can you ask people to save or to be more mindful of how they're using their water mm-hmm. when they have no idea how to calculate okay what is a cubic foot of water <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what that means so yeah being a woman in this industry. I remember when I first got into the water industry and when I first said I wasn't in water in general, I was in in public works. And I remember going to some of my first public works conferences or meetings and being like one of three women in the room and um, not feeling like intimidated by that at all, but just being like, it's pretty awesome. Like, <laughs> right. like I feel like kind of like the unicorn in the room. But um, uh, I loved how in one of our conversations you were talking about how uh, early on people were like, you should totally be a consultant. And you were like, well, I can't be a consultant because that's what you do when you retire. <laughs> um, so <laughs> kind of speak towards like how you decided to make that leap uh, early like we did early. I'm using air quotes. And um, also like what it's meant to you to be a w- woman in this industry. Okay. So let me try to tackle the woman part first. Um, I guess it was, it was a little different for me because I grew up as a tomboy. Um, my best friend and I, her name was Lisa. We were the only girls that played tackle football and basketball (laughs) and 
you know, soccer and kickball. And so I never thought twice about it, but apparently I worried my mom because I would come home with like dirt stains and there's all over my white shirt. And she was like, can't you just be a girl and oh my God, keep yes. your dresses clean for once. <laughs> I, was your mom, my mom, because I swear she said the same thing every day. <laughs> Can you just be a girl? But, but in, in, to credit my mom, she also didn't hold me back. And mm-hmm. so if I didn't want to play with the Barbies and I wanted the Legos and the connect and the talker, I could said, she got it for me. And yeah. so I think, that really attributed to the way um, I really embraced mechanical things and math and science and just how everything worked. And um, I found out many, many years later that my mom was actually the first uh, resident in her medical program at her um, hospital that she did her residency at. And so that's awesome. I guess she in her own way was a pioneer woman. Yeah. Um, But with all that being said, you know, as I got to college and I knew I wanted to do chemical engineering because I loved chemistry. I loved water. I had interviewed over two dozen people at Los Angeles County Sanitation Districts asking them, should I be a civil engineer? Should I be a chemical engineer? Should I be an environmental engineer? And, um, you know, just knowing what I loved, I knew chemical engineering was it for me. And I remember in my first class and there were, you know, a nice mix of women and men. Mm -hmm. But, um, as we got towards graduation, I had a moment where I sat in class and looked around and realized all the girls were gone and we were down to the last four. And, and, um, as, as we've had more and more movements to be, you know, towards gender equality and addressing the glass ceiling and the glass cliff and all of those things, and especially more recently with the hashtag me too moment, moment, yeah. uh, movement, apologies. Uh, I started realizing, you no, know, wow. Sometimes I am the only woman in the room or I am the only minority in the room. Yeah. And I just never counted it before. You know, you just kind of look at everyone as human beings, but I've had people comment like, oh, you're the token woman or you're the token minority. And <laughs> I think we just have to kind of look at people as, people and who they are and what they have to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes we get so fixated on, you know, what's, what's our, what's our quota or are we yeah. checking off all the boxes for diversity? And I think it's important to be intentional, but I think it's also important to just look at people for who they are. Yeah. Um, exactly. So with that being said, going into the whole consulting thing, that definitely did play a role in how I look at it at first. You know, you look at all of your peers and your mentors and everyone who goes off on their own and using air quotes here too. <laughs> they're usually people who are in their second or third careers, you know, right. people who worked for a public agency and retired and then worked as a consultant for a while and then decided, you know what, I want to scale back my work and be, uh, have my own business or they're people who are really specialized in something and spent mm-hmm. 30 years being that technical and now want to be a technical advisor on a number of um, projects. And mm-hmm. so I always figured, you know, that's something you do when you're older and retired, um, but you're not ready to retire, retire yet. And then uh, I was in grad school and I was taking this class. It was called Entrepreneurial Engineering. And I took the class because the title sounded interesting Mm -hmm. uh, because I was like, 
I like engineering. Entrepreneurial engineering sounds a little fascinating. <laughs> so I took the class and they, what they did was every week they would bring, it met two, two times a week. Every week they would bring different entrepreneurs who were engineers and have them share their stories as to how they got to where they were. And, you know, they were all extremely inspiring success stories. And quite a few of them kept talking about how, um, how they realized that they were meant for something more because they'd be at an organization and they'd always look at how, but didn't know how to implement it because the organization just wasn't ready for someone who was that outside the box. And I was like, that's me, you know, because most of my career I've been told, well, you should probably not talk so much as an engineer because people won't think you're as smart if you talk too much or <laughs> you should really tone down your personality because engineers are supposed to be serious. And, wow. and, uh, and I was, and, and another reason I kind of realized I wasn't, I wasn't in the box for your typical stereotypical definition of an engineer was when I was in college and we had the engineering uh, leadership council and they had a workshop for engineering student leaders from all over the state. And the facilitator, she was a liberal arts major. She had us take this personality test. And then we had to stand in different corners of the room based on our results. But she didn't tell us it was a personality test. She just said it was a quiz. And so I'm standing in this corner all by myself. And I notice that there's all these other people you know, 20 people in another corner, oh, 18 people in another corner, <laughs> you know, 25 people in another corner. And I'm literally in this fourth corner I had a by myself. Attack. And so yeah. <laughs> I asked the facilitator, did I do something wrong? Because there's no one else here. Yeah. And she's like, it's okay. You know, she's like, I'm actually, I, she's like, I would actually be in that corner too. Nice. And so she starts associated with her personality and whatnot and and that's when I realized that I was the connector and I was the bridge builder between Mm -hmm. all of the different groups because you know um, as an engineer I really enjoyed communicating and helping others understand different perspectives Mm -hmm. and really being able to connect how there were so many similarities between different stakeholder groups, but helping people recognize that and being able to overcome some of the hurdles that they might have in terms of their perception and allowing them to see how what they do could really work well if they collaborated with other groups that they typically might not collaborate with. And so I kind of tucked that into the back of my mind, but you know, being a young engineer, people tell you things like, you should definitely demonstrate your technical capabilities and you should definitely build up this foundation and you know check off all these boxes but I would always get drawn into a lot of the different communicator and connector roles including business development because people would say well you're really good at writing and you're really good at creating infographics and whatnot and so I started realizing you know what I love all this stuff because as a kid I also loved art mm-hmm. and being creative and I realized I can kind of do it all by being that connector and being that bridge builder. 
We hope you enjoyed this mashup and tune in every Monday as we drop new mashups leading up to season two that drops on January 28th with the George Hawkins, a.k.a. the Bono of the water industry. So I have a few action items for you before we part ways today. Number one, if you haven't already, please make sure to sign up for our email newsletter by going to vh2duo.com. We want to keep in touch with you and email is really the best way for us to do that, especially to let you know about new episodes when they drop. Second, please check us out on iTunes and rate and review the Water in Real Life podcast there. Third, please share, 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 share. We do sponsored ads, but it just means so much more when it comes directly from a friend. And finally, did you know that Ariane and I own a public communication company called Rogue Water? Yeah, this is our chance to work together, y'all. Check us out at roguewatergroup.com. And shoot us a message if you think there's a way that we can work together to do the work that matters. We hope you learned something new today, got a little different perspective, or did something that moved you one step closer to your goals. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. 